All right, we're back. Empires of the Future, and last week was lighter, and this week uh, we return to something very difficult to discuss. Yeah. Yeah, two weeks ago was lighter. We had the... Oh, that's true. Yeah, we had a week off. Yeah. We did. So we're going to talk today. There was, uh, for those of you who are out of uh, kind of Southern Baptist circles, or look, this has been one of those weeks where there's been uh, multiple layers of bad news. And um, so on Sunday of this week, there was... Uh, a report issued that came out of a two million dollar uh, investigation into uh, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. So this will uh, we'll try to be really clear about sort of these Southern Baptist polity uh, entities and issues. Um, but what this amounts to is that over the course of uh, something like the last 20, 25 years, there have been reports of sexual abuse. Uh, by certain uh, ministers and other leaders in Baptist churches, and uh, those reports went into a file, uh, and that file has been basically kept under lock and key, and nothing done with it for the entirety of its existence. Um, and even in in the last few years, when some have uh, asked, "Well, why why don't we keep a file of of people who have had reports on, uh, put in a, put in about them?" Um, what has been said to people who've raised that question is, oh, I don't think we could do anything like that um, because of the way Southern Baptist polity works. And, and so just the first thing to say is uh, that Southern Baptist churches, every Southern Baptist church that you see is autonomous, meaning they govern themselves. There is mm-hmm. nobody outside of that church who has any power whatsoever. Um, uh, we've talked in the past month about influence and look there yeah. are other influences but strictly speaking in terms of governance uh that congregation governs itself um and by congregation that is why you'll regularly see um committees in baptist churches and then you'll regularly see business meetings because when the congregation is gathered that's when big decisions are made uh yes there are you know uh, different kinds uh, some southern baptist churches have elders uh meaning multiple elders. Uh, some Southern Baptist churches operate according to like a single elder uh, type setup where the pastor is sort of a, more of a, a single leader type. Um, but they all are. If you're a Southern Baptist church, the way it works is congregational governance. And so official decisions are made that way. And, and often what has happened is that um, when these claims have been made about Southern Baptist churches, that uh, one of the easiest things to say is, well, who are we? Uh, because even uh, Southern Baptists are not a denomination, strictly speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, a denomination like, uh, say, the Presbyterian Church of America uh, is a unified, structured, top-down Protestant denomination, meaning that if you are in high levels of leadership in the Presbyterian Church, you can put in ministers, take out ministers, I mean, I've had friends who um, are Methodist and who have said, you know, look, it was decided at kind of a higher level that my church is going to close. Uh, that can't happen in Southern Baptist churches. That right. congregation has to decide what they're going to do. And so if they close, it's because that congregation either decided to close the doors or they just went defunct and ran out of steam. And so that's what we're finding out this week. This was a report that was released on Sunday, and so many of us first heard about it and read about it on Monday. And um, there is no way we're going to be able to say everything about it that we should today, but there are some things that we should say about it because we are Southern Baptist. We are ministers. Um, This is a 288-page report that came out, and so we're going to be working off of a a summary of it provided by Kate Shelnut in Christianity Today called Southern Baptist Refused to Act on Abuse Despite Secret List of Pastors. And this is from Christianity Today, May 22nd of 2022. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the byline of this, look, this is one that frankly as Southern Baptist ministers, we're just going to take on the chin today. This is terrible. Yeah. This should never have uh, been allowed to go on this way. It's one of those things that um, it seems to me the way these things get going is that uh, they come in, somebody decides that we don't know what to do about it, so it gets stuck uh, in a filing cabinet somewhere, and then it began to pile up, and 
over the years, other people got in on it. The information was known at the top level, but con- continually there was a decision to not act on it. Mm-hmm. And that, that sort of thing cannot be uh, allowed. Uh, the byline here is SBC Executive Committee staff saw advocates cry for help as a distraction from evangelism mm-hmm. and a legal liability, stonewalling their reports and resisting calls for reform. Mm-hmm. What is the SBC Executive Committee then? The SBC Executive Committee is uh, essentially the SBC when the SBC is not convened. So right. the Southern Baptist Convention convenes uh, for one week a year. Right. And that's, I think, not even a whole week, really, like, uh, what, like three days is how long the convention right. is. Um, so during those three days, that is the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, that is where kind of the decision-making happens. The um, uh, president is voted on. Other things, kind of uh, electives or, or other people are elected and things like that. Um, resolutions are passed in those kinds of meetings and things. But between those meetings from year to year, uh, so throughout the rest of the year, the executive committee acts as the Southern Baptist Convention. So if a decision needs to be made, if action needs to be taken, it's taken by the executive committee. So they, in essence, do the work of the Southern Baptist Convention between conventions. Um, Now they are somewhat limited, right? You can't, they can't elect a president. They can't um, put out resolutions and, and things like that. Um, but they do have the kind of authority granted them by the convention uh, to act as the um, representative committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so that's what the executive committee is. It essentially is the Southern Baptist Convention in between conventions. Right. And, and so in theory, um, the executive committee carries out decisions made by Southern Baptists who are gathered uh, for, like you said, those three days, but then the, uh, the sort of the resolutions that take place, all of the things that need to happen on the other 362 days out of the year uh, is carried out by the executive committee. Uh, now, look, uh, the, there's a little bit of a story here in how governance take place, how it takes place in an organization. In theory, the executive of our country and the executive branch only carries out the laws instituted by the legislative branch. I mean, the judiciary interprets them, the executive carries them out. Um, but then what was what has gone on here in the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, the executive committee has been privy to other information. And what do they then do with that? And, and that is a part of the challenge here. Uh, the story is that uh, some of the information they received, for instance, about ministers who uh, might have been accused of sexual abuse is that they had these files and legal counsel told the executive committee, well, there's nothing you can do about these because Mm -hmm. these are autonomous churches. You don't have power over this. Uh, The only reason this report came to light is uh, last year, at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, there was a directive to clearly uh, investigate these matters and open up any, even files that might have been deemed uh, privileged or uh, that was uh, between attorneys and clients that the executive committee had make it all open to this third party investigation. And that's why this came about. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. So, so guidepost solutions, which is the, the third party investigating uh, investigative um, organization uh, was brought in for this purpose to do that. So you might see somewhere out there on the headlines, guidepost solutions um, uncovers or or this and that, um, because they are the ones that conducted this investigation. So uh, I would want to go ahead and say, like, praise God that that was decided at the last meeting, yes. you know, in the midst of as we're reading this report now come to light, we do need to recognize that we're reading it because at that juncture, yeah. the right decision was made yeah. by the gathered um, convention mm-hmm. that, hey, all of this stuff needs to be brought into the light. Yeah. Like enough is enough. We need to, we need to ha- we need answers. Um, cause there were just too many things pointing to, okay, there's something more going on. Mm-hmm. We need answers. And therefore at the convention, it was voted. So this is not the executive committee. This is all representatives of the 
Southern Baptist Convention. So right. a representative from every church that decided to come and participate right. in, it was in Nashville last year, right? Um, I can't remember. I think it was in Nashville. Uh, decided to, hey, let's have a third party investigation happen mm-hmm. so that we can get answers. And so, man, praise God that that decision yeah. was made. As much as now that we're seeing the results, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And it is is really, really sad and in, in fact infuriating um, as we read through it, recognizing that the right decision was made at that time to bring this about. Right. And so, uh, so yeah, that was a good thing that that decision was made. Right. And, and for a point of clarity, uh, just once again, okay, so for those three days when the Southern Baptist Convention gathers, uh, there are business sessions uh, at the meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, which moves around the country. It's a different place every year, usually in the summer. Um, and when they are in a business session, it is literally a business meeting with thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And if you've never been there, it is something to see because um, everybody who is in charge of it knows Robert's Rules of Order well, and that is the operating uh, method. But then there are all of these microphones where people can ask questions. And if you are there as a messenger from some church, you represent that church and you can speak. And so different matters come through. There can be resolutions. There can be questions. There can be votes on, on all of these things. And that is where... Um, that is where our denomination connects. And then the decisions that are made there are the uh, operating orders for the executive committee. And that is what the Southern Baptist Convention stands for until anything else changes it. That, yeah. Those are the things that, that we act according to until something changes that. And so that resulted in uh, this $2 million undertaking uh, involving 330 interviews and five terabytes of documents collected over eight months. And so that connects the timeline from last summer uh, to now when this is all coming out. And, and by the way, uh, the next Southern Baptist Convention is here in about a month. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it says that the executive committee also committed another $2 million toward legal costs around the investigation investigation making it a total investment of four million dollars funded by churches and conventions giving to the cooperative program Mm -hmm. and so the cooperative program most every southern baptist church gives a portion of the money given every week toward the cooperative program the cooperative program is the method it is uh, the means by which uh, missions is funded it's the means by which the executive committee which does employ a certain number of people to carry out the orders uh, and the desires of the convention in these off times um, but the quadra program is something you hear a lot about if you're mm-hmm. uh, southern baptist uh, because um, for instance uh, something like maybe seven percent or ten percent or eleven percent um, depending on the church uh it could be. I mean, some churches give up to you know twenty percent, thirty percent toward the cooperative program, which again funds missionaries. It, it funds all of this activity that Southern Baptists have agreed we want to fund. Yeah, um, and so that's what that's what that is, and and that is how this has come about. And those yeah. four million dollars are, are coming out of that. Yeah. By and large, you know, this is kind of always how I've explained it to people. Like what. Um, what unites Southern Baptists. So as you talked about, Southern Baptist polity is different in that we are autonomous churches. We cooperate together with one another. Um, For what purpose? Largely for the purpose of missions. That has been at the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention and why it has existed as a convention for so long. So that when you give to the cooperative program, yes, a part of that money pays the the executive committee. Yes, a part of that money uh, goes to seminaries and helps fund training of, of... new students, which which is also a good and great thing. But the majority of that money brought in through the cooperative program goes directly towards uh, international and domestic right. missions. Right. Um, and that's a great thing. I mean, that has right. been largely the uniting factor of Southern Baptist, that right. we come together, we agree to the uh, Baptist faith and message, um, and upon agreeing to that and agreeing to give to the cooperative program, we come together for the sake of missions, largely. Right. Um, and so... The, that it, well, I guess I'm just giving an explanation of kind of what the cooperative program is and why it matters. It does, it does matter. Right, and, and we belabor this point because uh, 
we want to deal with what has been a claim that, well, if Southern Baptist churches are autonomous, then there's no way to deal with at a large scale level something like uh, sexual assault. Uh, and so then we want to ask that question today, is that true? And, and frankly, no, I don't think that's true. Um, what it, what we would require, and, and a question that is coming to the Southern Baptist Convention in a month is, is it reasonable to have some sort of method by which to know if these allegations are true, to know what comes of allegations of some type of abuse, and then to, to track that? Mm-hmm. Um, because something that has happened is that in one of our churches, one of the Southern Baptist churches, uh, someone can be accused of abuse and they might then resign and then go to another church and nothing is known about it. Yeah. And that's a problem. And that is exactly the kind of problem that having uh, a list and having a means of communicating concerns is pointed at and is directed at. And so we talk about this organizational stuff because the organizational stuff does matter. Um, How do you, when, you know, look, if you, um, many of you who are hearing this have never served at a Southern Baptist church, but look, it's, you don't often know what's happening at other churches. You're very busy keeping track of what's happening at your church. And this is, I mean, we live here in Evansville and there, um, for instance, some, somewhere around 40 churches in our association in the eight counties that surround here and, uh, you can't keep track of everything that's happening at all the other churches, much less talking about maybe across the river, Southern Illinois, where I'm from, or Kentucky, or, you know, uh, people leave churches. They might go to Florida, Texas, I mean, Colorado. I mean, there, there are just many places that, that people can go. And so that is, that is the issue that we're going to have to get. Where we want to get today is, okay, what are some practical steps that can be taken? Um, and to, to get there, you have to understand this is how the denomination functions. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, I mean, one way to think about it is we're completely the opposite of the Catholic church in terms of yeah. the structure that the, from the Pope to archbishops, I mean, to cardinals, to archbishops, to bishops, the, the hierarchy is very present mm-hmm. uh, in the Catholic church. And it is in some ways the exact opposite in Southern Baptist churches that yeah. the congregations have the power uh, to make any decision that they want. I mean, a congregation can, can bring on, uh, a pastor, a congregation can decide in a business meeting to sell their building. They can decide to give every bit of money they have to, uh, to missions or to a certain, you know, yeah. certain directive. Uh, that's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we don't have to get into all this. This is a, <laughs> this is largely a polity kind of conversation to be had, but there is good kind of biblical convictions that, cause us to lean towards that yeah. and lean away from a, a more Roman Catholic kind of structure. Um, it doesn't mean that denominations that have a different structure, like you said, the, uh, the PCA Presbyterian church in America, um, or other denominations. Um, it, it's not to say that they are like, um, just no good because they, they don't have a polity like ours, but it is to say there are good reasons and good convictions that have led to this kind of, um, this kind of polity. This kind of church structure, structure. That's what I mean when I say polity, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, but it has, this is a part of the thing, is that this sort of structure has been used as, has become a, a vehicle, a, a means, I guess, for abuse to be allowed and abusers to be moved from place to place to place without any oversight. Um, because that is a part of the problem is that a pastor, and this is what's happening. I'm not really describing some made up situation. I'm describing what has happened in a lot of these cases that have been brought forward. Um, like 700 is the list, Mm -hmm. um, where a pastor will uh, be in a, in a church and will abuse one of his, um, whether it be a a student or uh, a member of his church in whatever way. And the church will if the church finds out about it at all, uh, will oftentimes, in an, in an attempt to avoid um, making a scene, avoid ruining reputations, avoid whatever, quietly dismiss that person or they will resign. 
and then they go to another church. And because there's no overarching structure, right. uh, they are allowed then to take a job there. Many times the people in that church, un, like unknowing to what this person has done and been a part of, and they've been allowed to hide their sin. Mm-hmm. And then they, they get a job there and in many cases abuse again. Yeah. And, and it's impossible to see this problem and not say, okay, is the structure a part of the issue? Right. Like, do we need to rethink the structure? Um, and, and so like, you have to think about Southern Baptist polity and church structure and the autonomy of the local church when you're talking about this, because largely it is, it is both through that, that pastors have been allowed, abusers have been allowed to move from place to place, but it is also that same church autonomy that people at the top, a part of the executive committee, committee, they have used that autonomy yeah. as a shield yes. to defend against taking any action, right. like you mentioned earlier. Right. That autonomy then becomes, well, we can just hide behind that. We can't take any action. They're their own local church. There's not much we can do. Even even legally, they will say, well, there's not much we can do. In fact, um, from, from what I read, it seemed like even the uh, the legal representatives of some of those people on the executive um, committee we're saying there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, yeah. So we let's get into that then the details. Uh, like you mentioned, the first uh, quote here is, uh, quote, armed with a secret list of more than 700 abusive pastors, Southern Baptist leaders chose to protect the denomination from lawsuits rather than protect the people in their churches from further abuse. Survivors, advocates, and some Southern Baptists themselves spent more than 15 years calling for ways to keep sexual predators from moving quietly from one flock to another. The men who controlled the executive committee, which runs day-to-day operations of the Southern Baptist Convention, knew the scope of the problem. But working closely with their lawyers, they maligned the people who wanted to do something about abuse and repeatedly rejected pleas for help and reform. And so to your question, um, I mean, my first answer is yes. Like some adaptation has to be made to deal with this fact that it is, uh, it is, a problem with the system that if someone who has abused sees it coming and says, well, that's fine. I resign. And then basically no more questions are asked in some situations and they can move somewhere else and abuse again. And nothing is, nothing comes of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something has to be done about that. I mean, that, that is, that is, uh, reprehensible. It's, it's, it's not something that can be allowed to continue. Um, and when, like it says over the last 15 years, you've had people asking questions, uh, saying, well, what are we doing about this? Shouldn't we try to keep some kind of, uh, database of accusations and what is found out about those accusations and what they've been told is no that's impossible meanwhile what has taken place is the list was made Mm -hmm. but then it was just kept right and then when people called it 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 was used as a way to say we we don't need to hear any more about this we we don't deal with this sort of thing uh and that that just can't continue that way right yeah that's what's so that's amazing is is at the in the midst of this claim of there's nothing we can do we can't keep any sort of database one was being kept in secret um but nothing ever done with it i mean that just it, it kind of blows my mind you know like what was the purpose of keeping that um <laughs> i mean I almost think at this point, like, well, you know, praise God that it was kept so that this can be brought into the light at this point. So it is being used now. But what about all the abuse that has taken place in that list of, in the timeline of that list of 700, which if I understand most of the articles correctly, extends back to 2000, like the year 2000. Hmm. So about 20 years of abuse as this data is being collected, but never used. That's all of those victims, mm-hmm. all of those uh, people who have been abused, and, and it's been allowed because nothing, no action was taken. Right. 
And, and I just refuse to believe the narrative that now legally we, we can't do anything. I refuse to believe that that's the case. Someone could have done something and should have that that's yeah. It's a, I think that's just a lie. I think it's a lie that nothing could have been done. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. I don't even know what more to say really about that list other than that, you know, um, that it is just, when you see that list of 700 abusive pastors mm-hmm. over the course of 20 years, a little longer than 20 years, that's 20 years of abuse that has been documented, but never attempted to handle or correct. Right. That is, and that is a shame. Right. Right. And if you get into the details, um, it looks like somewhere around 400 of those are SBC staff. Uh, some, some people do sort of shift between Southern Baptist churches and mm-hmm. sort of similar churches, but that is not really a detail that means that much in terms of, look, when you have a name and you have a question uh, and you have an investigation that either has taken place or hasn't taken place and you know something, um, that's knowledge that you're responsible for. Uh, we we are not a people who kind of goes, well, uh, don't ask, don't tell. I'm not. I'm not going to ask any more questions, and silence will be enough. That's just not. No. That's not good enough. No, in fact, the Bible commands us that we're to be people of the light, right. that not people of the darkness. We are not to hide our sin. We are not to live in the shadows and in the darkness. Um, but we're called to to live in the light. And and yes, what that means as that sin is to be exposed and rooted out, right. but it's been allowed to live in darkness. Right, and, and what you are bringing up right now is a great moment to bring up a very important distinction, that there are some sins that are not crimes, and in that situation, it stays mm-hmm. at the church level. The, yeah. You know, Matthew 18 is very clear about, like, if, if a brother sins against you, you go to them and you try to make it right. If they will not... Uh, repent, then you bring somebody else with you. But if they still won't repent, then you bring them before the church. And if they don't repent then, then you treat them as uh, a tax collector, a pagan, an unbeliever, and they're out of the church. And that's the way that goes. But Mm -hmm. when something is a crime, this is Romans. This is Romans 13. The government bears the sword. If there's a crime that has been committed, then the government needs to be involved. Yeah. Uh, We don't, we're not a people who, if somebody comes in and says, I really need to talk to somebody, uh, and, and we sit down and talk to somebody at noon on a Sunday after service, and they say, well, I killed somebody five years ago, and I just really want to repent of it. We're not a people who goes, well, that's great. I want to tell you about a Savior. Uh, and, and, and then if they come to Christ, we go, well, that's, you know, he's forgiven you, and that's all over. No, then it's time for us to call the police that's right. and to deal with this in a criminal matter. And look, if this has been unclear to anyone, here's the deal. If it is a sin and a crime, then both the church and the state need to be involved. Yeah. And that is not just a sort of um, me speaking as a civilian, as as a, uh, an American person. This is this is Christian belief, right? That according to the Book of Romans, the government bears the sword. That crimes must be punished on a temporal level, and sins must be repented of. But that these are two issues that have to take place. They both have to take place. And the spiritual issue, it's just a, a misunderstanding of spiritual matters to think that the spiritual issue would supersede the temporal issue. It doesn't. You, right. If you commit a crime, still, it is not for any minister or any Christian person to go, well, I've decided that that I, I don't think they should have to answer for that crime. Um, and, and especially if the crime was not perpetrated against you. Uh, but, but even in that case, uh, the, the straightforward way to deal with this is if it is a crime, law enforcement. That's exactly right. Involved. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, and kind of one of the things I've been thinking as I've been working through this, this issue and this thinking about this report and things like that is, you know, I'm not, I'm not, very good at the law and knowing kind of what, you know, statute of limitations are on these kinds of things. But I really would like for this list to be turned over to the police and for prosecutions to begin to happen, um, for these individuals that engaged in this abuse. Um, because you're exactly right. It's as though we, as the church at times think, um, 
that in ways we are exempt from the authority of, uh, of the law, the mm-hmm. authority that God has put over us, governing authority, um, because we are a part of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is we have a dual citizenship. And to be a part of the kingdom of God does not exempt you from right. the requirements under the law. Right. And man, no one in our churches should ever be protected from, from the necessary ramifications and, and consequences that the law brings on mm-hmm. uh, because they are in Christ. Right. In Christ and before God, your righteousness is in, is because of Christ, that his righteousness is imputed to you. You are justified before God, but that does not mean that you do not bear the consequences of your sin here on earth right. or of your illegal actions, which, right. which certainly are sin. And so we have, I just, everything you just said, 100% agree with it. Um, if you are, are hearing this podcast and, um, and you are a pastor and someone comes to you and has an issue like this, a sexual abuse issue or anything of this nature, then you go to the police. Mm-hmm. You, you certainly, you have to be mindful and, and respectful of, of victims and, uh, and, and survivors, and you're not wanting to cause more harm and, and more trauma. And certainly all of that needs to be considered, but you need to be encouraging that person and walking alongside them mm-hmm. to say, let's take this to the proper authority so that it can be handled. Right. And that means no matter who it is that's guilty, whether it's your most beloved friend, pastor, uh, counselor, or your church doesn't matter. Right. Like the consequences have to be, have to be dealt in that case. Right. And the, the desire to defend against that, that we have seen as this report has come out from the executive committee is so foolish. Mm-hmm. It is so foolish to try and defend against that for the sake of liability for protecting the, uh, the, um, executive committee and, and the SBC and, and thinking, cause this was a lot of the argumentation. Well, we don't want to hurt the the gospel going forward in global missions, and this could hurt that. All of that is so nearsighted, and you have to understand that at best, what you are doing is gaining a short-term gain for a long-term loss, because mm-hmm. the Bible is clear that your sin will find you out, and there's a lot of men right now whose sin is finding them out as this report has come out, mm-hmm. and certainly the the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole, the executive co- committee, all the people who have been a part of that right now are not feeling like uh, like they have gained much by by hiding these things, but they're feeling a great deal of shame and regret and and rightly so. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I mean, it can be confusing, this issue, but, you know, for instance, uh, what do you do about uh, when the scriptures say, if you stolen from anyone, pay it back? Well, look, you... You pay it back, but that doesn't mean that you say, so now you can't, you know, take me to court over this. Look, they, you fall on their mercy. I mean, they still can if they want. You just pay it back. That's what you're called to. Um, all the civil regulations still stand. Uh, this, some of this might go, I mean, and, and in a lot of ways, the confusion about this might go towards uh, understanding, a false understanding of the gospel that... Uh, the forgiveness of your sins means you don't have to pay temporal consequences. No, I mean, your sins are forgiven by Christ, but you still pay whatever consequences are required here on earth. Um, When you sin, you sin against God and you sin against that person. Uh, The good news of Jesus is that eternally you have forgiveness of those sins and you are in Christ who is your righteousness, but still... that should then steal you and give you the ability to answer for your sins mm-hmm. on earth. And those who, um, those who uh, are in Christ and uh, have been given the Holy Spirit uh, should sense that, that, that yeah, I, I should try to make right whatever I can with anyone, but I don't have, the, uh, I don't have any sort of ability to say, oh, I, I, I don't have to tell you anything about what I've done to you because thankfully Jesus is forgiven. Mm-hmm my sins. So that's where it stands. And, uh, the next quote here is, uh, quote, the investigation centers responsibility on members of the EC staff, the executive committee staff and their attorneys and says the hundreds of elected exec elected executive committee trustees were largely kept in the dark. Uh, EC general counsel, Augie Boto and longtime attorney, Jim Gunther advised the past three 
uh, EC presidents, Ronnie Floyd, Frank Page, and Morris Chapman, that taking action on abuse would pose a risk to SC, uh, SBC liability and polity, leading the presidents to challenge proposed abuse reforms. Another victim, Debbie Vasquez, was repeatedly sexually assaulted by an SBC pastor starting at the age of 14. When one assault led to her pregnancy, she was forced to apologize in front of the church, but forbidden to mention the father. The pastor went on to serve at another Southern Baptist church, and when Vasquez reached out to the uh, EC, her entreaties were ignored and evaded for years until a Houston Chronicle investigation three years ago. Yeah. This kind of stuff can't stand. No. No, it absolutely cannot. It, it, um, it should make your stomach turn yeah. uh, to hear these kinds of things coming into the light because these are absolutely... They're repulsive on various levels. For one, I, I think about these, and I don't know these guys' hearts. I don't know the hearts of Ronnie Floyd, Frank Page, Morris Chapman, who were uh, a part of the um, executive committee uh, at the time. Or no, excuse me, they were the they were the presidents of the executive committee. I don't know what their what was going on in their mind and their hearts when they accepted the counsel of of their their lawyers, attorneys, whatever, and said. Um, or and chose not to act, but instead to um, kind of dissuade and, and reject these sorts of, of claims um, and put away challenges and, and proposed abuse reforms. Like, I don't know what was going on in their heart, but one thing I can say is I, I cannot imagine, I, I can't, I would like to know, I guess. I would like to know what was going on in, in their brain to say, okay, these... Uh, these accusations are coming forward and, and many of them credible accusations and we're just going to, because my counsel told me to, we're just going to ignore it. I mean, how yeah. how can your conscience allow you to just ignore that? Yeah. You know, I you almost want to say like, consequences be darned. I'm I'm going to defend this, this person who's being abused. I'm not going to allow abuse to stand. You know, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what they're, they were thinking. As you can as you can tell, I clearly have uh, a lot of unformulated, full kind of thoughts because there's so much here to absorb and to take in, and it's man, it's it's frustrating, it's sad, um, and on just multiple levels. And you hear of a of a victim like Debbie Vasquez, and she was abused, assaulted repeatedly by by the pastor. Uh, all, one of these assaults ended up with her being pregnant. It, it started when she was 14. One of these assaults ended up with her becoming pregnant and was forced to apologize in front of the church, uh, p- forbidden to mention who the father was, which was the pastor, and that that pastor went on to serve at another Southern Baptist church. Uh, and when, when this person ultimately reached out to the executive committee, was met with um, with basically nothing but you know, rejecting her claims. And it's just like, yeah, how how can this be allowed to stand? I don't know. Yep. Uh, it says, quote, over the past 20 years, meanwhile, a string of SBC presidents failed to appropriately respond to abuse in their own churches and seminaries. In several instances, leaders sided with individuals and churches that had been credibly accused of abuse or cover-up. One former president, Pastor Johnny Hunt, sexually assaulted another pastor's wife in 2010, investigators found. Um, so the the executive committee president is a different uh, office right. than the Southern Baptist Convention president. Right. Um, the executive committee president, again, handles, is the leader in handling the matters in the annual basis, and the SBC president typically uh, goes around, tours churches, meets people, represents sort of the, the SBC as, as a face of uh, the SBC. And, and look... Um, in this instance, this is an issue that goes all the way to the top. Uh, this goes to the president of the executive committee who chose to listen to legal counsel like you were talking about, but it also goes to presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole. And so this should, uh, I, I don't see how anyone could say that this shouldn't give us pause and to look at how we do things and go, how can we do things better? Because if it can yeah. get all the places that it's gotten, um, if this is, if this is linked in uh, with power, with being in a powerful position and being able to have privileges um, to be in 
a variety of places to have access to uh, the information that some of these guys had, but also uh, to have the power to to push people to to abuse someone and then to tell them, look, I I am too important to have to answer for this abuse. That's that's inappropriate. That can't be allowed to go on that way. Yeah, you know when you see, it's indicative of of rot within the system. Um, there is a problem, and and we can argue all day long about whether or not the uh, the structure of the system caused the rot or allowed to rot, uh, or whether the you know the rot could arise no matter what. You know, we can talk about that all day long, but it still doesn't change the fact that you have to do something about the rot, right. which is gonna is gonna um, necessitate serious changes and serious reform. Um, because there is a problem. And so regardless of how the problem got there, the problem is there mm-hmm. and needs to be dealt with. Um, and so I've, I've got this quote here by Russell Moore. Um, he wrote on this issue. And if you guys are unfamiliar, um, man, Dr. Russell Moore is an interesting story that we don't have time to get into now with regards to his relationship to the to the Southern Baptist Convention. But um, he has been closely connected to all of this stuff for a long time until... Um, just what was it last year? Year it was before a last. year ago, and and he was pushing for uh, this yeah. investigation. Yeah, uh, was treated pretty badly uh, in reference to it and some other issues. Yeah, and left the Southern Baptist Convention. Ultimately last year. left the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, he he wrote about this report that has just recently come out, and uh, and kind of an indictment on the Southern Baptist Convention. And he says this quote: "Who cannot." now see the rot in a culture that mobilizes to exile churches that call a woman on staff a pastor or that invite women to speak from the pulpit on Mother's Day, but dismisses rape and molestation as distractions and effort to address them as violations of cherished church autonomy. In sectors of today's SBC, women wearing leggings is a social media crisis. Dealing with rape in the church is a distraction. Mm -hmm. And his use of the word distraction here is particularly used because that's what these were called Mm -hmm. by some of the SBC leaders, Mm -hmm. that these allegations that were being brought forward were mere distractions seeking to pull away from the gospel or distract us from global missions. And man, like what what a... Now, you know, we hear what Russell Moore is saying here. Um, He talks about a, a woman... On past being called a, on staff being called a pastor or inviting a woman to speak from the pulpit on Mother's Day, and look, I, I'm at a church, uh, and and would believe biblically, biblical convictions would tell me that that those things are wrong. But his point is that a church that is so outraged about those things and ready to mobilize and about. ready to mobilize, mm-hmm. that's right. But yet is so dismissive of rape, molestation accusations, and consider them to be just distractions um and all of which to to guard this church cherished church autonomy that's what we're talking about um that you can clearly see the rot and he's not wrong right i don't think he's wrong i think that is a true statement um and it's not because i think women should be called pastors or because i think it's okay for a woman to preach from the pulpit on mother's day but it's because these other things that he's acknowledging are grossly right. grossly immoral and cannot be allowed to stand we ought to be i would probably argue far quicker to mobilize over those things than even other these other things that we would consider to be wrong i agree there's a few things that i want to uh advise as far as practical measures uh, going forward and and one is something that anybody who's been involved with working with young people will know about which is that uh, you need to have background checks done on anyone who works with Young people uh, in your church, uh, it, it's just something that needs to be done. Um, locally here in Evansville, uh, an organization like Youth First has been helpful to me, both in terms of uh, showing how to do background checks. Our association helps with those uh, here, um, but also an organization like Youth First can do trainings uh, with your people about here's, here are the kind of things you need to watch out for in young people in terms of if you, ways you can tell if they are being abused. Um, so a uh, part of this is you need to decide you're going to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. It, this has to be a part of your program. And that's yeah. where I'm, I, I think we have to go in terms of uh, the general outlook on this. This, this is not an enjoyable part of your program, but this has to be a part 
of, of your program, protecting uh, young people, protecting vulnerable people in general has to be a part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to investigate all accusations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we need to be comfortable uh, with the idea that if something is a crime, that we can call the police about it. This is something that we're going to have to know is within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to be aware that, that this is how we do things. Um, there are times for a third party to be involved. And when you have an accusation, you need to begin to seek that out. I mean, look, what is the first biblical principle that you need to begin to see if this is said by more than one person, but when you can't find somebody else to corroborate, that's not the end. You need to find the answer to that issue and not be quick to dismiss because you don't want headaches. Look, I, I believe me as a minister, I know that there is a lot that uh, a lot of sensitive things that we are expected to deal with, but this is an issue that is too important to sweep under the rug and to go, well, I don't want to get involved in that. Uh, you have to get involved. This is, mm-hmm. this is a spiritual matter. Uh, this is a physical matter. This is, this is just as important as uh, dealing with someone who has questions spiritually. Uh, this is just as important as if, if someone says to you, I am being abused, that is just as important as if someone says to you, well, I want to repent of my sins and trust Christ. Mm-hmm. These are, these are top level serious matters and you have to deal with them that way. No easy answers, yeah. no quick dismissals. Uh, you've got to go into it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That This does bring us though, I, and I think it's, something we need to talk about is kind of the um, the rebuttal or the other side of the coin that someone might bring up. And that is, well, you know, what about false accusations? Sure. You know, because you could hear what we're saying here today. You could read this report and think that the assumption is that there's no such thing as false accusations. Well, that's not true. Certainly there have been cases and will continue to be cases sure. of false accusation. Yeah. We, we are not here trying to claim that, uh, that every single accusation is true. And there are times in which a false accusation has the, has the ability and, and the possibility of potentially ruining an otherwise faithful sure. individual's reputation and, and de- destroying their ministry and, right. and possibly their whole life. Um, which is why, like the, the answer can't be. And so I think what the temptation is, is to say, well, I know this man, I don't believe that this accusation is true. And I believe if we invest, if we um, indulge in kind of investigating this situation, what could happen is we could undermine the trust, not only in this person, but in the church at large. Um, And therefore, because even if you are nearly positive that that person has not committed this act, it is still in the best interest of your church long term to go ahead and have that investigation done. Having a third party brought in if you are convinced that this person is innocent, that is going to be the best way to bolster trust, in right. fact. And I think we, I think in these situations, this is me trying to put myself into the mind of people making these decisions because, um, praise be to God, I've never had to make a decision like this. But, but I would want to have firmly solidified in my brain that the best way to keep trust in the pastors and in the church is not to deny it and and make the decision for yourself as as a pastor or as a leadership team that this person is innocent and therefore no need to investigate or to investigate yourself and conclude that they're innocent but to bring in a third party have it investigated if the person is innocent then that's going to be found out and it's going to be evident to all that are there that hey not only was he was his name cleared but the church's name has been cleared too in that and and these people are going to say i can even trust these lead excuse me, these leaders to do what's right um, and, and to take seriously serious accusations. Yep. And so you're right that you have to, you have to investigate all accusations and it doesn't mean all accusations will be true, right. but they have to be found out. And then look, uh, we have to be the people that if one, yes, I mean, people are innocent until proven guilty, but then you investigate. We have to be the people if this person is, is found to be innocent that you go, all right, well then let's move on. Yeah. And you have to stand on that. Right. And yeah. that's what a part of this is fear 
driving what you're talking about. What if there's an investigation? Yeah. This person turns out to be innocent. Well, then everyone, we have to lean into that possibility rather than going, well, I don't even want to look. I don't even want to ask yeah. the question. We have to ask the question. Yeah. If the question has already been raised, if the accusation has been raised, we then must ask the question. Yeah. And we, we have to have a culture where we have these questions that once they're raised, then we go, all right, if that was sufficiently answered, we'll move on. But we cannot be the people who doesn't ask the questions when they're appropriate to be asked. We, we have yep. got to do it. That's how you end up with a list of 700 names. Right. Where the question was never asked. Right. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to say, which is, uh, yeah, this one, I need to mute my notifications. The last thing that I want to say, and this will uh, not be popular, but I think this one, I really do think in a ministerial context, this is more straightforward than people realize, but whatever it is, I'll just say it, that uh, the, the rule popularly referred to as the Billy Graham rule which is there is not a need for a minister to be alone with a minor or with someone of the opposite sex. And and I'll say it this way, in an office with no windows where there's nobody nearby, sometimes you just want to have a conversation. But look, an an office with plenty of windows in it where there's a secretary in the next room or other people working in the next room, that that is a reasonable space. It is not a reasonable space for it to be a common occurrence for a pastor to be alone in his office when there's nobody else in the church with a woman mm-hmm. or with a minor, uh, it, it just is not needed. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't like this one, but look, th- this is the counterpart to a reasonable way to approach this issue uh, as far as how can we corroborate a story if, if it is one person's word against another. Right. Well, this is the first way you deal with that. You don't allow situations where it's going to be one person's word right. against another. And there's nobody within shouting distance. Yeah, That just doesn't need to happen. And most of what we do takes place in a context where there's plenty of people around. Yeah, There's, there's just a rare occurrence where I need to be with someone. In fact, for there to not be anybody else around, most of the time you would have to set that up. And we don't need to set that up. That's, and that's just where I stand on that issue. Yeah, you're exactly right. The fact that it is somewhat controversial blows my mind. Because literally, like you read these reports and you think all of this could have been avoided right. if this were enforced, both individually, but even from a from a top-down level, this ought to be the, the position of every church policy. Um, and if someone is found, I'm not even saying there's an accusation being made, but if they're found to be breaking this policy... Corrective action needs to be taken. Right. They need to be told, you do not do this. Right. This is a protection not just for the pastor, right. but also for the congregation, right. for the members. Right. Uh, this is going to protect you from any, not only abuse, but also if there is any accusation, there's going to be uh, evidence there to support that accusation. You right. know what I mean? Um, yeah, it just it solves all the problems. Not all the problems. Well, I, I wish we could solve all the problems. Right. Uh, but that's, it solves so much of this issue if we just maintain this. I agree with you. It's a great policy, a Billy Graham rule. But we saw, what was it a few years ago, whenever... Um, it, was, it was a regard uh, to Mike Pence. Vice, Vice President Pence, yeah, basically said, I, I operate under this rule. It became known as the Pence rule. Maybe you know it as the Mike Pence rule now. It was not originally the Mike Pence rule. It was originally the Billy Graham rule. Right. Before that, it was called common sense. Uh, and I still call it that today. So, um, yeah, this is just... It's amazing to me that it is so off-putting to some people. But I remember actually um, there was a uh, a pastor that I knew that was looking to take a position at a new church, and one of the kind of questions that was that was posed to him is, you know, would you be willing willing to meet with uh, a uh, a woman one-on-one uh, in your office the same way you would uh, a man? And the answer was the right answer. Well, no, I wouldn't be willing to do that. I'd be happy to have my wife there for that kind of meeting or, or church secretary or something, right. but someone else there. And, uh, but the person asking the question didn't love that answer because they felt like, well, you're affording a, a privilege to a man that you wouldn't afford to me. I would also like to have, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of relationship or, or, um, I don't even really know the word discipleship from mm-hmm. you or, or friendship even that, that you yeah. would give to man. But that frankly is impractical 
And it's those kinds of naive mentality that leads to sexual sin and immorality and, and abuse. So it's just a protection for everyone. It's protection for everyone involved. Yeah. And it also is a way forward to, um, to straighten out communication in terms of this one person's word against another. Can I offer one more now this might be a controversial opinion too. I don't know. Um, but one thing I would say too, as a way to, avoid this kind of scandal, avoid abusers being allowed to go from one place to another. And that is if someone in leadership at a church has been found out to be in this kind of sexual sin or abuse, even if it's not legally. Now, uh, if it's a legal issue, if it's a criminal issue, then they need to be prosecuted. Like that needs to be turned over to the law. Mm -hmm. But even if it's not that, even if everything is consensual, there was no crime committed, but this person has disqualified themselves from ministry, especially in a sexual way, that it needs to be made public. All of this nonsense of, well, we don't want to cause anyone shame. We don't want to ruin reputations. No, that's all out the window. This guy knew what he was signing up for when he agreed to be in ministry. And he knew that he was going to be held to a higher standard. And now we recognize that the gospel can still um, forgive even the gravest of sins. But the shame, the weight of that sin needs to be exposed and felt. And... And it needs to be brought into the light. So when someone commits one of these immoral acts and disqualifies themselves from ministry in this way, it needs to be made public. Yeah. There needs to be no more beating around the bush, no more hiding it, no more saying, uh, all, no more euphemisms describing why they're no longer in ministry. Right. It needs to be expressed clearly to the congregation, this person committed grave sexual sin or abuse or whatever, and therefore is no longer allowed to serve in ministry, no more qualified to serve in ministry here or at any church. And from there, you know, that we come back to the problem, not problem, the the discussion of church autonomy, where if that person tries to go and get a job at another church, it needs to be made evidently clear to the place where they're going, why they were fired from this church for for grave sexual immorality. So, so that, you know, and I think some people don't like the sound of that sounds harsh, sounds mean um, to some people, but absolutely not. It is what's required. It's it has to be. Otherwise, systems like this of fostering and allowing continued abuse are going to continue, yeah. and it, they can't. Yep. They can't. Yep. Well, where uh, where is this going? Where this is going is that uh, guidestones or guidepost solutions, uh, the third party investigative firm, uh, wants the thirteen point seven million member Southern Baptist Convention to create an online database of users. Uh, for compensation for survivors, uh, sharply limit non-disclosure agreements, and establish a new entity dedicated to responding to abuse. The directives in the 288-page report will sound familiar to survivors and advocates who have been calling for those measures all along. Uh, And this will go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's why I think it is very reasonable to have a database. Look, anyone who has worked in ministry knows that we have tools to study the Bible. We have tools. I have great tools to pick out songs every week, to pick out uh, curriculum for teaching the students. Uh, we have, we have tool, curriculum for games or, or uh, books and, and things. We have, we do well at setting ourselves up for the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. This, this issue of having a data, database uh, of protecting the people in our congregations Mm -hmm. we have simply not created a structure to deal with this and it is time for us to create a structure to deal with this we have structures for everything just pretty much everything that we do on a regular basis this just needs to be something that we do on a regular basis yeah i agree i agree all right well this has been a, a hard issue and look this is grievous this is uh the main thing to, to do for this first is to uh, to have have a time of consideration and repentance because this is something that has been going on that we were not aware of mm-hmm. and uh, these sorts of things can't be allowed. But then um, with clarity on the issue, we have to move forward and decide what we're going to do about it. And mm-hmm. so I pray for those who do gather at the next Southern Baptist Convention, I pray for all of our churches as we look uh, to find ways so that this stuff will not happen. We are a grassroots organization, meaning anyone can come and get involved. 
in our churches. Um, but we have got to think through what that means in terms of where that's going, how we organize, and uh, we've got to do a better job than we've done here. Yeah. Amen. All right. We're going to be done for today then. Uh, this has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future. 